0: Well, praise the Lord. Folks, take your Bible, please. And our scripture reading, as you know, was in Proverbs chapter 9. And I'd like to point out this one verse here. Verse number 6. Verse number 6. If you have the Bible open, read it out loud with me. Proverbs 9, 6. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Again, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, this subject of foolishness. Back in about 1962, uh, a few fellows got together and they wrote what became a very popular musical, theatrical, like a Broadway kind of production. And it was entitled, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Uh, It became a catchphrase down through the years, but in that musical there was a song that became on the top 10 charts and it was sung by Sammy Davis Jr. and different ones like that and it was really made famous and popular and the title of the song was what kind of fool am I and it was a a bit of a a love ballad about a fella but uh, we're not here to talk about that but just the idea of the fool the fool Now, I suggest to you that there are many different types of fools in the world, and we have fools within the family of God. I'm sorry to have to say that, but this is true. Now, one of the problems we face when we uh, approach a subject like this is our concept of what is a fool. And we tend to think of a fool as someone who's a half-wit. They only got half a brain. I'll give you an example here of a humorous story about uh, Sam, Joe, and Doofus. Sam, Joe, and Doofus. These were three young fellas that decided they were going to rob a store one night, but a neighbor saw them and called the police. The police came, and all three young men were arrested and taken to the police station. And Sam, who was sort of the leader, he sort of whispered under his breath to the other two, Nobody say a word. They all nodded. So they got to the police station. The policeman asked Sam. Uh, he said, uh, Sam, what, what's your name? No answer. And he uh, said to the second fella, uh, whose name was Joe, and he said, uh, Joe, what's your name? No, he didn't say Joe. He said, <laughs> he said what's your name? Well, I, I'd fail in the comedy business. I'll tell you that right now. So uh, uh, Joe, no, he didn't, didn't say a word. And so the policeman turned to the third young man, and that was Doofus, and he's the fool in our story, and he says to uh, the young Doofus, he says, what's your name? And Doofus looks the policeman right in the eye, and he says, well, if if Sam didn't tell you his name and Joe didn't tell you his name, I'm not going to tell you my name either. And so no wonder he was called Doofus. if you don't mind, we'll take the story one step further. So the policeman takes Doofus to one side, figuring he can at least get something out of this fellow. And so he asked, he asked him, uh, Doofus, he said, uh, where do you live? And Doofus answered, with my parents. Uh, the policeman said, oh, okay, well, where do your parents live? And Doofus said, with me. The policeman rolled his eyes and said, well, where do you all live? Doofus said, together. Exasperated now, the policeman asked, okay, Doofus, where is your home? And Doofus answered, beside my neighbor's home. Ah, the policeman, knowing he he should have given up before now, he asked another question, all right, and where is your neighbor's home? And Doofus says, well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And the policeman thought, okay, we're getting somewhere. And he leaned in, he said, go ahead, Doofus, tell me, where's your neighbor's house? And Doofus answered him, next to my house. And so this, uh, this fellow, Doofus here, is sort of our typical idea of a fool. And this is the problem because this is not really what a fool is. I mean, he is a bit of a half-wit, I suppose. But uh, Doofus does not represent to us really what a fool is because I'll be honest with you, uh, fools tend to be often very intelligent people. That's very true. You don't have to be a half-wit to be a fool, but you can be a fool no matter what you are. Someone says, well, pastor, why is it then, why is it that Paul referred to himself as a fool? Why is that? And now I'm preaching about fools today, and that's a good question. Why would Paul refer to himself as a fool? Take your Bible. Let's take a look at it, shall we, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. And we begin in around verse 9. Paul says here, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Now he continues this on right through verse 14 or so. And what is he, what is he saying? What is Apostle Paul trying to say to the, the, the Corinthian Christians here? He is trying to set up a contrast. And he's trying to show them that in the eyes of the world, the world looks upon the apostles as absolutely foolish. Thinking that they don't, they don't get it. They, they, they haven't clued in to the truth and to reality. When in truth and in reality, it's the exact opposite. The exact opposite. The world, my friend, is upside down. And when they look at, at uh, God's people and the economy of God and God's will and God's way, it's all upside down to them. Because they themselves are upside down. And so in this context, Paul referred to himself as a fool. Now, the proper concept of a fool is a person who does not see reality for what it is and therefore lives in a dream world, a world that is anything but real. How are we defining reality? We're defining reality as what God says is real and what God says is important. Someone says, Well, how do we know what God says is real and important? And there's the answer right there, my friend. There it is right there. If we would get a hold of this wonderful book, remember today's catchword, by the way, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Some people say, ah, the Bible, that's ah, a bunch of old phooey and so on. Have you ever read it? Well, no. Well, then don't say things you don't understand. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. There is no book on earth that can com- possibly compare to the Bible, the Word of God. Now, foolishness can be carried on in the family of God because it's carried into the family of God when people get saved. They're saved, they're born again, they're on their way to heaven, but some still have a tendency of foolishness. The foolishness, remember, is seeing things the world's way. Seeing things that are... are, uh, Uh, The way the world would see them, the way the world would understand them. And this, my friend, is foolishness because the world still doesn't see it. They don't get it. They still don't clue in to what God says is real. And so they continue to live their lives in a dream world of their own. And so the question is, when it comes to fools within the church, uh, how does the fool see the church? Well, to help answer our question today, I've called in a panel of experts. Yes, I've called in four experts. Now, this morning, I'm going to introduce you to two of those experts. And this evening, I hope to introduce you to two more of those experts. So, yes, today is a two-part series, and I want to encourage you, to tune in tonight. There are some of you that watch in the morning, but don't watch in the evening. We watch the statistics. And we see how many units are logged in, how many devices are logged in on a Sunday morning. And we see how many are logged in on a Sunday evening and the two don't match. And we get less people watching on Sunday nights than we do Sunday mornings. And I just want to encourage you. Here's the challenge. Be back here Sunday night. Be back and tune in and watch. The second part in this series here as I introduce to you the League of Four Foolish Gentlemen. The League of Four Foolish Gentlemen. And so, as I say, I'm bringing in these, these experts. Allow me to introduce to you Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Fooey. Now, these names are fictitious. These names are made up in order to protect the innocent. However, these four foolish men decided that they weren't happy with their present church. And so they decided each of them to form a league together and that they would go to different churches to see what they could find because they were on a quest to find a church where they could all attend. And so without further ado, I'd like to call in our first expert today, and his name is Huey, and he is the undependable fool. The undependable fool. He's the one who doesn't see the importance of faithfulness to God's house. Faithful attendance to the church, to the house of God. I don't see it. And this is Huey for you. Now, let's take a look here. We can see back in Luke chapter 14. We'll turn there now. Luke chapter 14. And we find one of Huey's relatives. Here in Luke chapter 14, he's an excuse maker. And so Huey is the undependable fool who does not see the importance of faithful church attendance. And we find one of his relatives here in Luke chapter 14. And uh, from about verse oh, 16 to about verse 24 is the story of the, the great uh the great man who made a great supper and he, he bade many to come and he sent out his servant at supper time says, go tell him to come. And so the servant goes to these different ones and they all have excuses, but I want you to see this one here. This one really has Huey written all over it. Verse 20 and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Can you imagine that as an excuse, as an excuse How about when the Lord calls us to attend church? Time for church. Come, Huey. And Huey says, I can't go to church. I've married a wife. Now, that sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? How do we know that it's God's will, that it's important for us to be in faithful attendance? We find that in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews and chapter 10. Let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 10. And I direct your attention, please, to verse number 25. Verse 25. The Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. The word exhort means to thoroughly urge. To thoroughly urge. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Oh, beloved, it seems that if ever the day was approaching, I think we could say the day is approaching with all of what's happening in the world today. Just a matter of a couple of months ago, no one ever dreamt that the pandemic would do what it's doing. Well, maybe a few visionaries might have thought a few things. But the bottom line is, we didn't think that we'd be prohibited from coming to our churches for the sake of health and life. We didn't realize that. But the reason that we go to church is... To obey the Lord. Now you say, Well, how do we obey the Lord when we can't go to church? We're doing it right now. God has raised up enough uh, technological know how to allow us to be able to fellowship together like this online, to be able to tune in and to uh, take part in the singing and listen to the choir and read the scriptures and listen to the preaching and to uh, give our offerings, and to make decisions in our hearts. This is it, folks. Probably for the next uh, several weeks, month, two months. We don't know. When they do lift the doors on the lockdown, they'll probably lift it little by little. I don't expect that they will just throw wide open the doors and say, okay, everyone can go back to church now. I think they'll probably do it in stages, saying you can have church services up to 50 people now, and then later you can have church services up to 100 now, and so on. That's only my guess. I don't have any kind of word of a, of a vision or anything on that. But what I'm saying here about Huey, the undependable fool who does not see the importance of faithful church attendance. Beloved, Sunday is a special day for us. It's been special, sanctified, if you will. It's like a holy day for Christians for 2,000 years now. Now, I know it, and you you know it too, that there are are, uh, Christians who uh, feel that they can worship God on a Friday. Why do they need to go to church on Sunday? They can worship God on a Thursday and things like that. Well, go ahead and worship God on a Thursday and on a Friday. No problem at all. But I do believe that if you're going to pick a day, You need to keep that day sacred and holy to the Lord and don't be going out and playing professional sports and so on on the Lord's day. Someone says, well, show me that in scripture. Well, maybe I will. Let me tell you a little joke, though, about our friend Huey, the undependable fool. Huey decided he wanted to to go out fishing. And so he, he called up his, his buddy Dewey, Huey and Dewey. And he said to Dewey, listen, Dewey, would you go fishing with me? And Dewey said, well, you know, it's, it's Sunday today. It's the Lord's Day. And Huey said, oh, he said, Dewey, come on. You know better than that. Let's, let's go fishing, buddy. So Dewey said, well, all right. And so they went fishing together. And they are out in the boat there. And they, uh, they're fishing away. And then uh, Dewey finally turns to Huey and and says, Huey, I'm feeling awful guilty. He says, I, I really think we should be in church. And Huey said, well, I kind of feel guilty too, but the truth is, Dewey, that I, I couldn't go to church today even if I wanted to. And uh, his friend Dewey said, uh, why is that? Why is that, Huey? Why can't you go to church today? And of course, the two of them are sitting in a fishing boat out in the lake with their rod and reel and, lying in the water, fishing for fish. And so Huey says to Dewey, he says, Dewey, I I couldn't go to church even if I wanted to. Why is that? Well, it's because my wife, she's at home sick. She's at home sick today, therefore I can't go to church today. Now, I know that that's pretty sad humor, but uh, uh, he could go fishing, but he couldn't go to church. There are people that can go out playing soccer, But they can't go to church. There are people who could actually go and play soccer in the pouring rain. But they couldn't go to church on a rainy day. You see what I'm getting at here? And we have here our first professional fool, Huey. And we're going to assume that Huey is born again and he's saved. But he's an undependable fool. He doesn't see the importance. Of God's house. And being there. Huey doesn't see the importance of faithful church attendance. And he'll basically use any excuse. He can find. Now. People talk about the, uh, the. Sabbath day. And there are those that want to bring Christians. Back under the Old Testament Mosaic law. Said well. We're worshiping God on the wrong day. We ought to be worshiping God on the Saturday. That was the Sabbath. See. Not Sunday. And they point to all sorts of of scriptures and they think that that justifies it look let's take a quick look at that before we move on the jewish sabbath or shabbat as it's called means rest the day of rest and uh, it occurred on the seventh day which was saturday now when jesus established his church the first day that we call sunday has become The Sabbath or the Shabbat or the rest for the Christian. You see, how do we know this? Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. Let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 28. All right. It says here in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that Sunday, folks, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, See the place where the Lord lay. Now, if you look over, please, at Acts chapter 20. In the beginning of the book of Acts, we have the kind of the birthday of the church. Jesus had been forming his church for the last year, year and a half of his earthly ministry. No longer was he preaching about the kingdom. Now he was preaching about the cross and he was getting his church set up. And he was teaching his church important lessons. And there was a transition now from Judaism over into Christianity. Same God, same Savior. But from what we understand as from the Judaism with the Mosaic law over into Christianity with grace. With this new covenant of grace. And there were certain changes happening and taking place. And in Acts chapter number 20 and verse 7. Look at where the church is at now. And upon the first day of the week. What day is that? That's called, what? say it, Sunday. That's Sunday, right. The first day of the week. When the disciples came together to break bread. That's the church getting together. The apostle Paul was there. It says, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. And continued his speech until midnight. And so there they were on the first day of the week. Now, there was a transition happening. You have to understand something, folks. We're not under law. We're under grace. And grace means God's pleasing and the opening of his arms, of his pleasing and blessing and and all of uh, the, the gifts of God. This is the age of grace in which God is dealing with his children on the basis of grace. Prior to when Jesus came, it was the age of the law, the Old Testament law and the Mosaic law. And God dealt with his children on the basis of keeping the law. Not for salvation, but for the blessings. Now here, we're not under that law anymore. And so let no man judge you. We're not to be put back under the law. I'll show you another verse if you turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. Verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You want to worship on Saturday? Go right ahead. Come back Sunday to give your tithes and offerings. Listen, I didn't make it up. It's there in the scriptures. Now, if you'll turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, by this point, it's approximately 95 AD. The church now has been uh, up and running for the better part of 60 years. There are Gentile churches spread all over the Roman Empire. The predominant race of people getting saved at this point are Gentiles as opposed to Jews, although there are some Jews getting saved. But it's predominantly Gentile. And in Revelation chapter 1, we have now a, a very interesting telling little verse here. In verse 10, the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. What day is that? It's the day he rose from the grave, beloved. Beloved. Matthew 28, 1 to 6, we just read it. That's the Lord's day. That's the day, finally, that when uh, the the churches would get together, we saw that in in Corinthians and the book of Acts and so on, and it now became known, it was standardized as the Lord's day. That's why John didn't have to go into any kind of explanation on the first day of the week. He didn't have to, because all his readers understood the Lord's day was the first day of the week. Under the old covenant with Moses, you have the the Sabbath on the seventh day, the rest on the seventh day. Under the new covenant with Jesus, you have the rest on the first day, the Sunday. And so our first expert named Huey comes in and illustrates for us his Ability to be undependable. He's an undependable fool. What we learn here from from Huey is that he needs to learn how precious the Lord's day is. and, And more than that, how precious the Lord's church is. You study carefully Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. You'll find that Jesus died for the church. That's how precious the church is. Quickly, we need to move on to our second Expert witness today, and his name is Dewey. And of course, we saw him earlier in the fishing boat with Huey. And so, here we introduce to you Dewey, and he's the selfish fool. Dewey doesn't seem to see the importance of giving offerings and tithes and faith promise offerings, he doesn't seem to think that that's very important. And this is Dewey for you. Well, in this matter of tithing, I'd like us to look first at Genesis chapter 28. So let's turn there, shall we? Genesis chapter 28. Now, many people think that tithing is only meant for for Moses' law. They think that it's only something in the Old Testament dispensation of Mosaic law. I'll have you know that tithing came hundreds, hundreds of years before Moses and before the Mosaic law. Men of God were tithing. Abraham paid tithes. He taught it to Isaac. Isaac paid tithes. He taught it to Jacob. And here we have Jacob. Chapter 28. According to my study of the life of Jacob, Jacob at this point wasn't even born again saved. He would be later on. But at this point, I don't think he was. And he makes his vow to God in heaven. In chapter 28, and we see verse 22. And this stone, says Jacob, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. By the way, the name of that area became known as Bethel. Bethel, the house of God. So he says the pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Listen, folks, that's how you honor deity. That's how Jacob honored divinity. That's how his father Isaac honored God Almighty. That's how uh, his father Abraham honored the Lord God, Jehovah Almighty, by giving tithes. Giving tithes is the way that we honor divinity. Hey, listen. I'm not one of those that say, do as I say, not as I do. I'm a tither. I've been tithing since before I was saved. I know that. I got saved April the 6th, 1975. I started tithing around the beginning of January 1975, some four months before I got saved. It was tithing that led me in to a gospel preaching church where I first heard the gospel. Tithing has done me well. God has blessed tithing back to me over and over and over. I'll tell you, from the last 45 years of my humble experience, God honors tithing. He does. I've studied the scriptures over and over and over and over and over to find out God's will on the matter. And I keep coming up with the same conclusion that tithing is not done away with. Go to the last book of the Old Testament, The book of Malachi. Someone says, I know what he's going to read. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And you know what? It's still in the Bible. There it is. Is the book of Malachi in your Bible? It is. Then it must be there for a reason, don't you think? And Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Did the book of Malachi come from the mouth of God? Answer yes it did malachi chapter 3 of course and verse 10 bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith saith the lord of hosts if i will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it hey listen if you know that God has blessed your tithing. If you know that, if you've felt it and seen it and experienced it, why don't you tell us right now? Just type it right in there. Send it in on that little chat bar. God has blessed my tithing. God has blessed my tithing. Or if that's too much for you, just type amen. Four letters. am A, I can't even spell it. Amen. You, you figure it out. Amen. A lot of people try to twist these words and say, well, you know, it doesn't mean the the church. Well, I'll have you know, in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is called the house of God. Did you know that? In 1 Timothy 3.15. And here, the Lord said that there may be meat in mine house. And the New Testament calls the local church the house of God. Hey, folks, I didn't make this up. But we have an expert with us today, and his name is Dewey. And Dewey doesn't see the importance of tithing. It almost seems to me that Dewey may have been a member for a time of the Church of Corinth. The Church of Corinth. Let's go there, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Please look at verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote, For ye are yet carnal. That means fleshly or worldly, earthly. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? By the way, think of a carnival. A carnival. And you get some idea of what this church was like. And walk as men. And then he goes on in verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Paulus. Are ye not carnal? Boy, it's like having a favorite radio preachers. Who's your favorite radio preacher? And who's your favorite radio preacher? And who's your favorite radio preacher? And someone stands up and says, well, I like my pastor. And they all look at that man with scorn. They say, there must be something wrong with you. You don't have a favorite radio preacher. Boy, we live in strange days, don't we? We live in strange days today. You know, the immature Christian thinks that all the money Is meant to be spent on him. I know right now. Of Christians. Who came and left. Our church. Because every once in a while. I'd preach on tithing. Oh it just. It's like rubbing the cat. The wrong way or something. They say the answer for that. Is to turn the cat around. But I know of this one. I'm thinking of one person right now. No longer. No longer attends our church, hasn't attended our church for some time. And the reason was because I spoke on giving. Hey, I'm a giver too. I give more than 10% of my income. Many of you do also. I'm not trying to blow any trumpets. I'm not trying to say I'm super Christian with a super halo. I'm just trying to love the Lord and serve him. And I'll tell you what, I've seen God bless tithing in my life. And God is blessed back to me because God is no man's debtor. If you're not a tither, you don't have the full blessings of God on your life. And I want to extend to you the tithing challenge. Now, maybe you have been tithing, but now maybe during the days of pandemic, you're thinking, oh, I can't afford to to give anything. Listen, beloved, you couldn't afford anyhow, even on your best day, It's only the blessing of God that allows you to live day by day and to get by. Who's your first creditor anyhow? Yourself? The government? No, it's Almighty God, your creator. So you worship your creator with your tithe. Your tithe is holy and sacred. Let me tell you another little story about Huey and Dewey. Huey and Dewey went out for coffee. And Dewey soon pulled out a cigarette. And Huey said to him, Dewey, you know, you shouldn't smoke. And Dewey said, Huey, where in the Bible does it say thou shalt not smoke? Ah, got you there, got you there. Where does it say in the Bible not to smoke? And Huey says, well, I don't know. But let me ask you a question, Dewey. He said, how much, how much is a, 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 a pack of cigarettes? And Dewey said, about $5. Huey wrote that down on the napkin. He said, Dewey, how many packs of cigarettes do you smoke anyhow? And Dewey says, three packs a day. Three packs a day. And he says, that's about $15 a day. Dewey said, I suppose it is. Huey said, Dewey. He said, how long have you been smoking? And Dewey said, 15 years. 15 years and huey said so it cost you 15 dollars a day and he did the math he says that's five thousand four hundred and seventy five dollars every year and dewey said i don't know and then he did the math over 15 of those years and he said that's eighty two thousand one hundred and twenty five dollars in 15 years dewey said well i don't know i guess so so what and huey said dewey don't you realize that if you saved that money, you could be driving a luxurious Mercedes-Benz instead of that old pile of tin, that junk car that you're driving? Dewey said, huh? He said, is that so? And the two men were quiet. And then Dewey said to Huey, Huey, do you smoke? And Huey said, no, I don't. And Dewey said, can I ask you a question? Sure, said Huey. And Dewey asked this question. Dewey said, where's your luxury Mercedes Benz? And Huey sat back and he thought about that. And from that day on, Huey started smoking. Now, that's a crazy joke. I know that. But that's just to tell you how foolish these guys were. And, he, and, 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 and Dewey here, Dewey, he didn't understand that his life was to bring honor and glory to God Almighty. And that tithing is one of the primary ways of giving God honor in your life. And we know it was far, far beyond uh, before the law of Moses ever started. And as I said to you, the amazing thing is that when we honor God with our tithes, God honors us. Now our time is up, but very quickly I need to show you something. Before we close in prayer. It's found in the book of Psalms. If you'd like to turn to Psalm number 14. Now this is not. One of our panel of experts. We've already met Huey. The uh, undependable fool. We met Dewey. The guy who doesn't see the importance of tithing or honoring God with his. his, um, His money. The money that God gave him by the way. But we come to now, Psalm 14, and this is probably the saddest of all fools. And this one is found here in verse 1. Look at it with me. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I don't think we'd have any of those fools watching today because they don't believe in God. They're atheists. Many of them are evolutionists. Some of them are even religious people that don't believe God exists, like Buddhists. They don't believe in a personal God at all. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Well, wow. Sad, sad, sad. My friend, if you're watching this today, is it possible that you've been questioning whether God exists? Is it possible that maybe through the pandemic or some other series of unfortunate events, you've been wondering if God exists? Back in about 1975, there was a man that worked at the same company I worked at. And this man was quite a bit older than me. I was just a young young fellow. And this man and I got into a conversation And he told me he was an evolutionist, didn't believe in God, didn't believe God existed. He told me his story, that at one point in his life, many years prior, he had a very difficult time. He came to crossroads in his life. He had a horrible, horrible thing happen, and he said he cried out to God, but God never answered him. And so the man made a very rude gesture toward heaven and said, from then on, that's what I think of God. That man is a fool. I don't know whatever happened to him. I don't even know if he's still alive. Oh, listen, my friend. If you don't know God as your personal Savior today, would you humble yourself at the cross? Please, if you don't know what it means to do that, contact our office by email or a phone call. We'll send you a little Bible study. You do in the comfort of your own home. It'll help you. It'll teach you a whole lot about God in a short amount of time. It'll teach you what you need to know in order to make connection with God. You and God. Yes, you and God can connect.